0: How are you? That was a chunk of announcements to get through, right? Um, as Pastor Luke said, um, if this is your first time at Conduit, or if it's at your, your 150th time, um, welcome. We're glad you're here. We've been praying for you. Uh, we've been praying for this morning, for this week, and uh, we're eager to uh, to proclaim the word of the Lord this morning. So, last week we finished up a series, uh, a, a semi-long series on King David. And so this week we're going to be starting a different series, and uh, I'll be preaching some of the messages, and Pastor Luke will be preaching some of the messages, but um, the the title of the series, or the general direction of this series is Discipleship, and uh, the title of the series itself is called Disciple and when we talk about discipleship we, we, we can get into this realm where we, where we use a lot of um, I guess I've heard it called before Christianese, right? Words that Christians use that normally people don't use or that are particular or specific to life within the faith, meaning that if you are not really a church-going person or didn't have a background in faith or anything like that that you would say a word and people wouldn't know what that word is or what it really means evangelism discipleship theology things like that so one of our hopes one of our hopes is to uh, lay out for you or to explain a little bit that discipleship in and of itself is not just a christianese type of term or a word that we use to describe something that that is happening uh, within the church but that discipleship itself is the primary task of the church when I say the church I don't just mean the organization of the church the building and the institution uh, but I mean the lifeblood of the people who follow Jesus by faith that you and I have a primary task in our life We we have something that we've been called to something that uh, something that Jesus called his disciples to and has called, have called us to as well. And so the next, kind of the next three or four weeks, um, what we hope to do is kind of all gather around this idea that the primary task of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the primary task of me as a pastor: is to proclaim the word of God uh, to the end of people following Jesus more closely. And what happens? Uh, what happens often is that uh, without without there being consistent and clear both communication and teaching and inspiration from the word that describes or that shows that the primary task of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. That I'm sure you've experienced it, I've experienced it a lot, is that we, get, we all get together in one room, right? And we, we call it going to church. Right? We all get together in one room or one building and we say we're going to church. And we come in with an idea or a preference or an opinion on what, what should happen what should be the priorities of the church what should be the perspectives of the church what should be the ministries of the church what should the church do and what should the church not do now in general uh, or in its most base layer like it's important for us to ask those questions because it does distill down into like well what is our primary focus like why why is it that we exist why are we here why? Are, why did you choose to get up on a sunny Sunday morning and, and come here, and and to be able to define and to give meaning to that, um, to that, to that primary task or the thing that we are um, called to do? You see, because the thing is, is that the Christian community, you and I, the church in its most theological sense, is not really our idea. The church, the gathered community, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, is is the idea of Jesus himself. Scripture talks exclusively, or extensively I should say, about the forming of the Christian community under the authority of Jesus. Jesus commissioned his followers, you and I, those who profess faith in him, and gave them, gave us directions about what The primary task of our gathering or our community should be and so in the next couple of weeks we hope to um, give you a little bit of uh, a little bit of insight into what that primary task is the primary task of discipleship as well as um, begin to describe and define some practical realities about what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus, both in like, the theoretical, but also in the practical. Like, If you are here because, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want a closer relationship with Jesus. I want to understand what it means and what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. You're in a, in the, in a good place because that's what I want for you, and that's what I want for us. I'm going to read uh, patches of Scripture here out of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, but I feel like, I, feel like I, need, I need to pause just for a moment again and um, help to center us a little bit in prayer. I'm feeling a little distracted, and so I'm sensing that you are as well. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, Pray that your your spirit and your presence would be with us this morning. Pray Lord that you would bring clarity to the task of disciple making. It can become really easy for each one of us, Lord, to prescribe what our own primary task of the, of the Christian community is of the church. And so, Lord, we, we know that we can become embittered or disinterested or angry or upset or critical when the quote-unquote church isn't doing what we think it should be doing. Lord, would you help us all, myself included, to see in your word this morning how you have called us to be your followers, what you have called us to do, how you have called us to go about our lives as a community, as a group of people. Lord, and that you would reveal your heart to us, Lord, so that we may be a conduit of your heart to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Let's try again. Um, I've shared this with you before, right? Like, as a pastor, I've had um, both the honor and, like, the really, honestly, the, like, the holy privilege to sit at the side of the bed of handfuls of people over the last 17 or so years who are in the moments of taking their last breaths. When you talk about sitting, sitting at the deathbed of someone. Um, I count that as a privilege, I count that as a holy honor. It is a really heavy thing, and in as much as like, you don't get used to it, you become accustomed to what those moments are like. Right? And if you've ever sat at the bed or by the side of someone who is in their last days, weeks, months, moments of life, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Is that there is a sacredness to that moment, but it's also really, really heavy. And it becomes obvious that the conversations that happen in those moments, in those days, in those weeks, in those in those last times where this person is passing on, right, that the conversations that happen or the words that get spoken, their like their value increases, right? Um, and 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 you begin to hang on like every last word. Now, I don't know. I I've never I've never been in that moment myself personally feeling like okay, I'm 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 dying or I'm passing away or like this is the this is the end for me. And so, it's you know, I, I wonder what I would say to my, to my loved ones or to those around me in those last moments. Now, I imagine I would want to, like, I would have some things I wanted to say to my wife, right? And I have some things that I would want to say to my kids. And uh, maybe some, some things that I would want to say to my sister or, or my, my dad. Or, like, there are, there are people who I would want to say some things to. And I can imagine that in those last and final moments that my words would be very measured, would be, as, would be as precise as I can emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually like articulate. That I would not want to waste one single word knowing what is coming. Nothing can be wasted here. I must be clear. I must get the message across. I love you. It's going to be okay. There was this moment, right, where uh, jesus had this kind of like last words moment with his disciples these are these are men who had followed him who had witnessed miracles who had been set at the feet during his teaching who had saw the his his ministry who um who yes scattered when he was arrested who regathered and hid in an upper room who were so involved in jesus's life and ministry we know them as the disciples right and this time that jesus had with them this very last moment you can imagine right that the words that jesus was were to say to them would be relatively important as they would be for you and i in this like okay this is the last time i'm going to have this conversation with you this is the last opportunity that i'm going to be able to have to share something with you so don't miss it like don't don't let it, don't let it escape your ears. Now, in one ear and out the other. Let it take root in your heart and in your life. And sometimes I think that we like skip over like a stone skipping over the surface of the water. Like we just get, we just skip over these words of Jesus. And yeah, they're important to us, but we just let them get us a little wet. We don't let ourselves get submerged In what Jesus said to his disciples in these last times, in these last moments of his life, or his last moments with them. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Jesus had had been crucified. He was placed into the tomb. The tomb was found to be empty by uh, the women who came to anoint Jesus' body and then his disciples. And then Jesus appeared to his disciples and resurrected in glorified form. And right before Jesus was to ascend or was going to ascend back into heaven or leave them once again, he said this. Then the eleven disciples Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then he said to the eleven disciples, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to him, and he said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These were effectually the last words of Jesus to his disciples as he or before he was ascending uh, back into he- heaven after his resurrection we call this typically within the church we call this the great commission it was this commission that jesus gave those who are following him to go go and make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teach them to obey everything that i have commanded to you and and surely i am with you even to the end of the age and in sometimes like i say when we skip across the surface of these words be like, wow, Jesus, what a, like, Jesus is really motivating the troops here. He's really like, he's really encouraging them to go out and make disciples and and preach and teach them what he, uh, what what Jesus has taught and baptize people everywhere all the time. Like Jesus lays out here for his disciples the primary task of their life after he is gone. Go and do this. This is what I want you to be about. This is what I want you to do. He was speaking here to his closest disciples, presumably. Those who had followed him for the majority of his ministry. And he talked to them in general, not with this like, he, or he tasked them in general, not with this attitude of like, okay, I'm leaving now. What I want you to do is... I want you to kind of hunker down in one place. And I want you to create some boundaries. And I want you to create some walls. And I want you to gather regularly and, and, and be really, really focused and concentrate really, really hard, okay, on just the internal growth of your faith. Just worry about your, your, your personal faith, right? Um, look out for number one, right? Um, make sure you have good spiritual insulation around you, right? So none of that spirit stuff leaks out, and none of that godly stuff can get in. Just like settle in, hunker down, concentrate internally on your faith actually the opposite was true here right that Jesus was tasking them not with the isolation now of their faith when he was gone but now the bold proclamation of their faith in him to not just the people in their sphere of influence right but in gradual large circles sphere of influence all around them. Jesus didn't want, to, want them to simply concentrate internally on their faith, but tasked them with this bold mission of propelling Jesus-centric living outward from the place that they were at. See, there is a, there is a, a, a very real danger keeping your faith in Jesus insular or insulated from the world. We oftentimes hear um, hear the uh, the phrase, "Well, my faith, like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and it's obviously the most important thing in my life. My faith in Jesus is the most important thing in my life. But my faith in Jesus is just it's a private matter, right? It's it's private." And I think what we, what we do is when we misunderstand the primary task of the church, we misunderstand the primary task of those who follow Jesus, which is to make disciples of all nations, right? Is we, we switch the words private and personal. Right? Because when we say something like, well, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, but that faith for me is just a really private matter. It's just something that I keep here. We're, we're betraying right the the commission and the task that Jesus himself has tasked his disciples with is to not make our faith private right our faith listen our faith is not private our faith is personal Amen. right it's personal to us like Jesus has Jesus has come to us Jesus is pursuing you Jesus is working and moving in the power of his Holy Spirit to transform your life from the inside out and to use the testimony of His transformative power in your life to spill over into the lives of others. How selfish of us would it be to be transformed by the work of Jesus Christ and to say, but that transforming work is just really personal or really private to me, so I'm just going to hold it in. Just, just, it's mine. It's not private. It was never meant to be private. Jesus Jesus does not ascribe to to a private faith that has no effect on the world around us. But Jesus' actual last words, arguably the most important things that he would say to those who are following him is, go and make. Not private at all. Personal to me, yes. Private, absolutely not. Now, well, Art, I mean, I know, but Jesus, he's kind of like, he's a really good friend of mine, and I don't think he's going to be, too. he's not going to really mind or be too mad if I'm just, like, if I'm just totally immersed in making sure that my faith is strong, and, and then they're, like, I'm not going to worry about the person sitting next to me, or next door, or the guy I work with, or the lady I interact with every day at the store, whatever. Mm, no. It's wrong. Okay. This is what I say, that if we don't wrap our minds around the idea that Jesus had a primary task for those who follow him by faith, then we come up with all kinds of our own rules about what it means to be a Christian and how I live my life and what it means to be a part of the Christian community. And listen, I grew up in the rules. I understand the rules more than anyone. I understand all the opinions and preferences and programs and ministries and things that people like to make the primary task of the church. But I'm telling you right now that... Like, I give my life and I give my calling and I give my work and I give everything that I have to the primary task that Jesus has for the church. And that, if that begins to offend the primary tasks that we have that stand in opposition to the will and grace of God through His Spirit, then so be it. I don't care. We'll tear it all down for the sake of making disciples of Jesus. That's all I care about. Now Jesus sets here a little bit of like, hey, um, just in case you were maybe thinking about doing something else like hiding in this room because you're scared, right? Disciples. I I need to tell you something first off. How How does he begin to phrase this whole thing? It's an interesting thing. This is like one of the only times where Jesus pulls the, like, um, I'm the Messiah trump card. It's like the, one of the only times. You look at, look at what he, how he starts this when he, when he talks to the disciples. He says this, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Not not, hey guys, I'm really encouraging to do, you to do this because it'd be a really important part of your life together. And if you don't mind, and if you could like write a little line in your in your in your like in your budget for the year for this thing, that would be super awesome. But Jesus is like, let me remind you, right? I am the King of Heaven. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then the very next word is what? Verse 19. Therefore. Right? So like verse 18 qualifies verse 19. Which is like all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Like there is no higher authority than the authority of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Go and make disciples. One statement qualifies the other. Listen, the commission to go and make disciples of all nations is significant, not because of what is said. Like it's a really awesome strategy or a cool idea or a really interesting ministry program. All right? The primary task of the church is the discipleship of all people, not because of how it was said or how it's formed, but because of who said it. Jesus wraps the commission or the primary task up, primary task of the church, he wraps it up in his eternal authority. And he says, It is important because I have said it and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and every time we try to make the Christian community or the church about something else we have the authority of Jesus to answer to we have the proclamation of all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me not you not me not anyone else, but to Jesus. So all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, okay, all right, Jesus, you got our attention. We understand who it is that's talking. What, like, you, you have our attention. Then what? Therefore, go and make. Now we've talked about this little phrase before. Just these these three little words: go and make exceptionally strong active verbs we kind of we kind of uh, we have this kind of this phrase it's not necessarily or it's kind of wrapped up into our core values but um, the the phrase is, is that as a as a community of faith as people who who believe in Jesus, who Jesus is the center of all that we do, and that the gospel of Jesus changes it all, and that the authority um, of heaven and earth is wrapped up in the person and the name and the blood and the sacrifice and the work and the ministry of Jesus, that because, or therefore, because of all of these things, we will not just sit and wait. We will not sit and wait. Necessarily for people to come to us, we're all very glad, myself included, that you have all decided to come this morning, of course. But listen, this is a, this is a, um, this is a fringe benefit right here, because because the primary task of the church as given to us by Jesus is not to sit and wait, not to be insular here in this spot, but to go and to make. It speaks to um, a certain level of intentionality about the disciple-making process and the task of making disciples of Jesus. Now, I, I want to talk. I want to sit here for just a few minutes, okay? Because um, I think—I don't think—over the next few weeks, what you're going to see as we talk more about it, what it means to be a disciple, as we as we go a little bit further into like, so next week we're this this week we're talking about like this kind of grand primary task, this narrative that Jesus sets forth. That because of his authority and because of his commission where he he tells us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and and teaching them and and welcoming them into Christian community, That because that's Jesus' primary task for his disciples, that means that's Jesus' primary task for you and I, the Christian community here at Conduit. Um, Next week we're going to talk about like, what does a disciple look like? What is a disciple? If I say, if I say we, we want to go out and make disciples of Jesus, well, what is a disciple of Jesus? What does a disciple of Jesus look like? And so next week we're going to be talking about the, what a disciple looks like. The week after that, Pastor Luke is going to be talking about, like, well, okay, how does that look practically then in the life of a Christian community? How is a disciple made? If we know that this is the task to make disciples and we know that this is what a disciple looks like, how then do we go about making disciples? What is the way in which we as a Christian community have have seen an opportunity both theoretically and practically slash logistically to be building into a culture of people following Jesus and being transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit In their life, and and I think that sometimes we think that discipleship happens by I don't know accident or osmosis. That just over a long enough period of time, being being um, being saturated or next to other Christian people or coming to church over a long, long period of time, eventually that person will develop into what it means to be a disciple. And I'm sure you, maybe that's your story, right? You don't ever remember these moments of intense, like, growth or transformation where the Holy Spirit was changing things in your life. And maybe that was your story growing up in the church. And then maybe you're a person who is sitting here this morning and be like, I've been going to church my entire life Life. My family has been going to church their entire lives, and I still have this inner understanding of being untransformed by the gospel of Jesus. Of of knowing the words, of knowing the, the language of understanding the culture, but still deep down within who I am, knowing that, that, the, that the, the, the true power of the gospel has not taken root in my life so as to transform me from the inside out. And I've gotten to this space of wondering if this thing is even actually real, because if it was, it would have worked by now. And, and what I'm here to say is is that it is um, is that there are actual practical steps that you can take in the context of Christian community to, to, um, to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ to be supported by those around you to see the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out. And to, and to really, maybe even for the first time, maybe you've been trusting and following and believing in Jesus for 70 years. And you still haven't experienced the power of transformation. Right? It's not too late. The Holy Spirit is ready and is willing and is able to transform you, to make you new, to create in you a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, as the psalmist says. So, because sometimes, like I'm going to talk candidly with you for a moment. It's not even really in my notes, but I want to talk candidly with you for a moment. Um, you know sometimes I feel personally um, pressure and the, the place that I feel pressure in is to ensure that I'm making as a leader here uh, that I'm making the experience of church Palatable for everyone, like enjoyable, and um, and and very, super creative, and um, and interesting, and welcoming, and hospitable, and fun, right? And um, intriguing, or. To have a deep sense of, to have a deep sense of meaning, right? And, um. And so there's this, there's that there's that pressure there, all right. There's that that pressure to ensure that, for lack of a better term, the user experience is high. Um, and uh, just candidly, I hate that. I hate it. I know hate's a strong word. I hate it. Okay? I hate it. Now the caveat to that is that I don't want anyone to have a bad time. Right? I don't want it to be not creative. I don't want it to be inhospitable. Right? Like, we want, we want those things to exist but we want them to exist for a purpose. And the purpose is not to create a cool church with pallet wood on the walls that you can Instagram and say, look at how cool it is. Okay. And so often, just as a personal, like as a kind of a personal confession, I like, because I like, like the... Instagram filter church is like blah, Makes me want to gag Okay, I sometimes as a as a um, Response to that I I go so far on the other end of the spectrum Right that it's not helpful Okay, and it's antagonistic and I, I get that and I understand that okay about myself and about my leadership and my staff does a great job at helping me to balance that okay <laughs> Um, but I also want you to know, I want you to know something. There is a, an extraordinary level of intentionality that has gone in and will continue to go into developing ministries, systems, groups, mentorships, opportunities so that you may have everything possible at your disposal to follow Jesus more closely. Okay? So when you begin to hear about some of the, like the maybe like the practical landmarks or logistical things that you can like kind of get into and be a part of, it's not because we feel like, "Oh, it would just be really cool." if we did something else. I need something else to do, like I need a hole in my head, okay? All right? We don't need something else to do. But I am willing to go to extraordinary lengths, extraordinary lengths, to ensure that the primary task that Jesus has given to us as believers is fulfilled as best as it possibly can be under my leadership. I have committed, literally, I couldn't say this more strongly, I've committed my literal life to it. And I will continue to do so going forward. There is an extraordinary amount of intentionality behind the words of jesus when he says to his disciples go and make go out there and get it done don't sit back and wait don't allow it or just hope that it's going to happen but yes organize yourselves in such a way Use the creative gifts that I have given you. Leverage the resources that I have given to you or placed at your disposal to ensure that every man, woman, and child, no matter their background, no matter their nationality, no matter their race, no matter their socioeconomic standing, what family they come from, what neighborhood they live in, what language they speak, what country they're from, whatever it takes to help people walk more closely with Jesus. Now, in verse 19, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of, go and make disciples. And I said that we'll be talking about what the definition of a disciple is next week, of all nations. So Jesus puts up a a fairly nondescript boundary about where the Christian community's sphere of influence is towards the task of making disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Well, I know that that can be kind of like, it can be kind of nondescript when we talk about that. Because like, okay, well, um, let's pack everyone up into a a van or a, a church bus or a couple planes and let's fly everyone out all over the world and let's make disciples everywhere of all nations. And do I think that Jesus means all nations? I actually think that Jesus means all nations. But you know what? I also think that Jesus means the person next door that you've placed like this this impossible boundary in between you and them. You know what's really easy? And I can say this with authority because I've been on lots of them. Going on a mission trip like flying across the ocean is is pretty easy. In fact, I would dare say it's fun. It's fun. And it is relatively easy because something happens something happens when we kind of step out of a culture or a zone where we feel like we can be made to be embarrassed by how private or personal our faith is. You know where the rubber hits the road with the primary task that Jesus has given to go and make disciples is when we're forced to do it with someone that lives across the street or shares an office with us. Or maybe who shares a home with us. Who is even in our own family. Who maybe represents a different, like, who who comes from a completely different type of family that you grew up with. Different values, they talk different. Uh, maybe they live in a different part, like, they live in that part of the city. Or they come from that family. Or they've lived this kind of life? Or they grew up doing or knowing this? See, the mission or the primary task of the church is not bound by man-made or worldly boundaries, either by those national boundaries that we often think of when Jesus says this, or by the emotional, mental, physical, spiritual boundaries that we place in between us and the people that are not like us. But let me tell you what, there is no difference whatsoever. And Jesus has put us here, you, us, conduit, here, in this place, in this time, in this city, in this region, so that we could proclaim the transformative work and power of Jesus Christ through the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives so that others may know and follow Jesus and and be welcomed and integrated into the community of faith. Finally, as we wrap up here, Jesus ends his commission, his task here by saying uh, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Truly I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The primary task of the church is to make disciples of who? Jesus. Right? Jesus, Jesus reminds the disciples, hey look, teach them everything that I have commanded you. Um, We often, right, when we ourselves haven't been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we go about the task of trying to make a disciple of this person over here, what we do is we end up making them a disciple of us. Right? And we, we make them a disciple of our church. And we maybe make them a disciple of the pastor, or the leader, or the friend. Right? And what we must be always um, sure of and focused on is that we don't, we, we don't lead people to follow pastors. We don't lead people to follow churches. We don't lead people to follow you, or me, or someone else. We lead people to follow Jesus. Amen. The power of the gospel lays in the name of Jesus. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus. Right? It is not about following the church. It is not about... Following, being disciple to the we must be sure that everything that we do points people towards Jesus. Points people towards Jesus. Points people towards Jesus. It's like when you're trying to get your kid, you're like you get down and you're trying to get your kid to look at you, right? And they're like squirrels, right? They're just like everywhere. Like and you're just turning their face and you're 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 trying, face, and you're trying to make eye contact with them. That's what happens in discipleship, is we must continually be turning people's faces to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus right? Because in you and I, the, we, we can only disciple people, we can only help people out of the overflow of the transformation power of Jesus in us, right? And so if we're not being actively transformed in ministry with the Holy Spirit, then we have We can only disciple them to us, not him. And then finally, Jesus ends with this affirmation and this encouragement, saying, Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now I believe what Jesus does here is he attaches, this is a promise from Jesus, right? When Jesus says, I am with you always, what does that mean? It means he's with you always, right? Surely I am with you always, even to the end, end of the age, even to the final days, even to the last moment, even to when everything else is fading, falling, falling apart, fading away, being destroyed under you know, any worldly influence, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus attaches the promise of his eternal presence to the commission and task of making disciples. Meaning that we then can now rest in the promise that the transformative work lies within the promise of Jesus' presence rather than you and I really needing to make this person's life better. What, really, what, what can I do? What can I say to them to get them to change? You can't. Nothing. Right? Because you're not the one changing them. You're not the one initiating that transformation. It is the presence of God in the process of disciple making in the, in, in the person of Jesus Christ that creates the transformation, that creates this formative and transformative faith. So next week, we talk about um, what is a disciple and what it means to be transformed. I've been following Jesus my whole life, and I feel no more or no less transformed than I was the first time I walked into church. We're going to talk about what transformation is. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and what it doesn't mean. It certainly doesn't mean perfection. Right? Or, or some, some arrival period. Right? Um, so what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be transformed. And then the next week, how are disciples made how do we go about the process of making disciples both as individuals and as a christian community so this is our our primary task the next few weeks is to explore discipleship Um, just as the primary task of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. And when we do that, he is surely with us, even to the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, for the power and the presence of your word among us, Lord, and we know that the proclamation of your word makes your word come alive, Lord, and we pray that it would come, your word would come alive in our hearts. Lord, where we have made, where we have made church something other than the task that you have given us, Lord, we repent, we confess our sin, and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, where we have lived in criticism, in bitterness, in anger, Lord, we confess, we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, you're witnessing to us through your spirit now that there are there are hearts and lives, Lord, that have not been transformed and that are suffering under this Horrible way of desperation, wondering, Lord, is this, is Jesus even real? And if he's real, does he care? Because I'm suffering. I'm addicted. I'm in darkness. I can't find a way out of anxiety or despair or fear. I am trapped. Lord, I had a, and if there are people here who have felt that for years, decades. Lord, we pray that through the power, presence, and ministry of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to set people free. Lord, and that as a community of faith, as a people gathered here in this location on this particular day, you would help us, Lord, through the resources that you've given to us and the leaders that we have and the discernment that we've received from you to create pathways, Lord, of discipleship and transformation and faith-building. Lord, and that we would not get bogged down in the muck and the mire of people, people's expectations. The, oh, that just happens all spontaneously. And you just need to let God do it. And you don't got to create systems and plans. And Lord, we just reject that, Lord, and pray. Lord, that the intentionality of plans to make disciples of you would be honored, Lord, and that you would guide and direct us, Lord, to best practices, best solutions, best plans, Father, so that the intentionality of our pursuit would be honoring to you, and that we may fully understand the task that you have given to us as people who express faith in you. In Jesus' name.